Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Okay, grab your Bibles. We're going to go to the Word of God today. We're going back to Acts chapter 2 to continue in our sermon series called The Early early church where we're spending the entire summer preaching from Acts chapter 1 into Acts chapter 4. How many of you did your homework last week? We made it easy on Instagram. You can just swipe up and read it. I think it was like 20 verses of scripture. So you're not too late to catch up. Just do it right after church. All right. 20 verses of scripture, and we're going to pick up where you left off in your homework with verse 37, and we're going to read 10 verses of scripture from verse 37 to 47. Are you ready? If you're ready, say, I'm ready. ready. Come on, let's stand up together because we're going to read the Bible collectively as a family in concert. How's this for a throwback? Did anybody else go to church? You grew up where everybody read the Bible out loud together? Oh, I like this. How many of you guys are there? If you're there, say I'm there. I ain't there, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm trailing behind you here. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. And then, and then just once we finish reading it, just stay standing. We're going to pray. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 47. There it is. All right, you ready? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. Man, come on, let's go. That's revival right there. I just needed a praise break, just a little moment right there. Wow, come on. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Stop just a moment. I want you to catch this here. Verse 43 starts with, and all came upon every soul. What was the reason for the all? You would think it was the miracles, but they were in all prior to the miracles. What was it that caused people to be in awe? It was because of the community of faith that was established and how the Christians were living life with one another in love that caused unbelievers to look upon their relationships and say, there is something different about the believers. We are in awe, why? Not because of the miracles, but because of the relationships. They will know that we are Christians by our love for one another, amen? Let's continue. Verse 43, and all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Pause. You got church on Sunday and small groups on Tuesday. Did y'all see that? Okay, we'll go on. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Man, I want to be a part of a church like that. How about you? So let's pray. Lord, we just say thank you for your body, the church. Uh, Thank you for the birth of the church that we have the privilege and the honor of studying today. God, we ask that the same spirit that was released on the day of Pentecost that brought 3,000 people into the church in one day would be released here at Legacy Nashville. We pray for that same type of unity. We pray for that same type of love. We pray for that same type of relationship. And we pray for that same type of revival to be poured out here in this upper room and spill out onto the streets of East Nashville so that thousands of people come to the knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ day after day. And Lord, we also agree with that last part that we'd have favor with all the people. And if you'll take some favor, say amen. Amen. And you can be seated in Jesus' name. Oh man, what a good story. Did you guys like those 10 verses of scripture? Well, I hope you loved them because we're gonna talk about those same 10 verses of scripture over the next three weeks. You're not gonna have homework. You're not gonna have homework for the next three weeks, okay? If you wanna read these 10 verses of scripture over and over, I would absolutely suggest that because I don't know if you're going to get a more provoking picture of how the church is established and how they responded to one another as the body of Christ. Now we see here, there's a lot of things happening. And so I broke it down into seven points, which I think is how Peter broke it down in his sermon on Pentecost. Peter's first sermon was a banger. I mean, I wish I could have started preaching like that. I mean, he boldly stands up, filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, and he preaches to the exact same group of people that participated in the state-sponsored execution of their friend, Lord and Savior Jesus, just like 50 days ago. That's pretty amazing because you've got Peter when the group comes to arrest and beat Jesus, runs away. Cowardice, right, you might say. I mean, I can't say that I would have responded any better in the moment, it was probably scary. But he runs away. Now, being filled with the Holy Ghost, we have to notice what the difference is now. He's filled by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, right, we read that last week. He stands up in the place of preaching to the same people that have the potential of doing to him what they did to Jesus. And he preaches with such boldness, such focus, such clarity, such anointing and such conviction that all of these devout religious Jewish people, you're talking about like the creme de la creme 
of the religious scholars of the day listened to this uneducated Galilean fisherman, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, present the gospel of the kingdom of God. And they responded by saying, what is it that we are supposed to do, teacher? This is a supernatural miracle. You have an uneducated fisherman declaring the truth of God to the most devout religious Jews of the day and the spirit participates, convicts partners with Peter's confrontation and the Jewish people say, all right, what are we supposed to do? That's amazing. So let's read verse 36 real quick. We didn't read this today in the reading altogether, but let's read verse 36 because it really does a great job of summarizing Peter's message. So verse 36 says this, let all the house of Israel, man, he's, he's being quite confrontational. Notice that he didn't leave anybody out. I read this this week and I laughed to myself. I'm like, man, this guy's on one, right? Let, let every, I'm talking to all y'all. Right, he is bold. That's what happens when you get filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You get bold, you get confrontational. You're like, oh yeah, hell, you want some of this? Does anybody else get like that? It's just me. When I'm filled with the Spirit, I get confrontational in the Spirit. Let every demon in hell, you know, I start, I start cursing everybody in, you know what I mean? Not, not people, but demons. I'm like, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Satan, I came to remind you. I mean, I preached to myself in the shower that you are under my feet. (laughs) I pray like I'm preaching. And so I see Peter doing the same thing. He's like, I'm talking to all y'all. Let the whole house of Israel therefore know for certain that God, your God, my God, God, we're talking about God has made him, who is him? Jesus, both Lord and Christ. What is he saying? He, he is both Elohim and Adonai. He is both creator and he is Lord. Not only is he God, but he is also Christ, which means the Messiah. Man, you're talking about a clear, bold presentation of the gospel. Both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you. Dude, this is holy boldness on display right here. Whom you crucified. That's how we know it was the same group of people. All y'all listen up. I don't know about you, but I feel like that's very powerful. We see Peter so filled with the Holy Spirit. And we know that as he preaches, the response from the Jewish people is, brethren, what are we supposed to do now? So what we we read today in Peter's sermon was a divine prescription on how to respond to a gospel presentation. What should I do? Whenever we're confronted with the truth of God's word, an appropriate response from us is, what should I do? How do I respond? See, this is a humble response. 
I think one of the worst ways we can respond to a gospel presentation is they need to hear this. <laughs> you, you ever listen to a sermon and you're like, man, I, I need to forward this to a friend. Because <laughs> they, they, they need to hear this. Right? But the presentation is not given to us so that we can become more religious, confirming what we already know to be true, but to come and convict us of the leaven and the sin that's in our own life so that we might humbly respond in the way Peter prescribed so that we can be transformed in the way that God desires. I mean, you, you literally have the people who know everything about the Bible. The people who were listening to Peter preach that day know more about the Bible than all of us. Right? It was said of the Apostle Paul that he had the equivalent of three modern PhDs. These are the people who could quote the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, from memory. So you're talking about some of the most educated, advanced religious scholars of the day listening to this message and saying, we are cut to the heart. We're convicted. We're convicted of our disobedience. We're convicted of our sin. What are we supposed to do? And here's what Peter says. He said, I want you to repent and I want you to be baptized and I want you to receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what you're seeing right now. And then as a result of their obedience, there was an emergence of a church plant. And Peter gives in his message, he gives seven points. And then we see the seven, well, he gives points, three points. I'm giving you seven. He gives three. Then we see four more. And the reason I'm giving seven holistically is because this grouping of points is really what Acts 2 tells us constitutes as a New Testament church. Does that make sense? Okay, so here's how you have a New Testament church. Let me show you this. Number one, you have repentance. Y'all forgot? Repentance. Everybody say repent. Look at your neighbor. Say repent. <laughs> Some of you guys really meant that. Um, listen, listen, here's the title of the message today, and it's Father's Day. It's Father's Day, so I'm, I'm going to give you like a dad message. This is a, this is a, hard, this is a hard one. So here's the message. Repent more. Legit, if you're taking notes, I just want you to write at the top. This is the title of the sermon today, guys. Repent more. So the New Testament church is first, everybody say it with me, Repentance. Repentance is the doorway into the kingdom of God. Repentance is the doorway into the body of Christ. Repentance is the doorway into the bride of Christ. Repentance is the doorway into witnessing, seeing the kingdom of God come alive in your lifestyle. Repentance precedes faith. Repentance precedes belief. And I'm going to show you in just a minute. 
but I just want to make sure that we've laid a foundation that this whole thing starts, church, with repentance. We, we've got to start with repentance. We've got to start with repentance. Number two, water baptism, which we're going to do next Sunday night at Encounter Nights. All right, if you saw the video today, you felt convicted. You said, okay, I want, I want to get baptized. Next Sunday night, you can get baptized right here at Encounter Night. All right. My assignment today was to talk about both repentance and water baptism, but I got so enthralled by the biblical topic of repentance during my study this week that I decided to make the whole message about repentance. It's where I felt led. I'm giving you a lot of disclaimers because it's not an easy word. Okay, second service, you guys are all buckled up and ready to go. Number three, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's part of being a part of the church. Number four, the apostles' doctrine. We're going to talk about doctrine next week. Doctrine. What's doctrine? You want to know? Come next week. Number five, fellowship. Life-on-life life relationship, right? Life-on-life. Uh, number six, the breaking of bread, eating together. I was telling Brian Eggers this morning, you know, in the King James, Paul talked about, you got to buffet your body daily. I said, I buffet my body. Daily. So, Thank you. Somebody got it. It was a dad joke for Father's Day. Number seven, the prayers. Notice the prayers, the prayers, the prayers. See, they were still going to the temple multiple times a day as devout religious people praying the prayers. These were not always organic prayers. Sometimes these were recited prayers. They were reading the prayers of scripture, praying alongside, agreeing with them in their own hearts. This is what it meant to be a part of a New Testament church. Now we see in the gospels, Jesus prophesies that he will build his church, right? He promises, Jesus said, I am going to build my church. Rooting against the church is rooting against Jesus. Okay, he's going to build his church however he sees fit. Different contexts, different cultures, different expressions, different ways, different mediums. But you better believe that he's not a man that he should lie. He will build his church. He prophesied and he promised that he would build his church, right? He also prophesied and promised that when the Holy Spirit was sent, it would do something very significant. It would convict people of sin. You guys remember that sin? You heard that before? So the Holy Spirit is given to us by Jesus to convict the world of sin. It's one, one role. Let me, all right, let's go to scripture. I, I need to prove that one. So John chapter 16, Jesus preaching. Nevertheless, it's on the screen. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. Everybody say my advantage. I know you might think like, oh, it'd be so good if Jesus was walking around with me in the flesh. Jesus says otherwise. He says it's actually to your advantage that he ascended to the Father. Because by ascending to the Father, he can give you the helper who is the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week a little bit. The helper will not come to you if I don't go away, Jesus said. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, what do we see here? And when the Holy Spirit comes, what's the Holy Spirit going to do? He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
Judgment, you can actually substitute that word for justice if you want to. It's the Greek word krisis, which was where we get our English word crisis from. But righteousness and justice biblically are the same thing. There's a vertical and a horizontal relationship that we have with righteousness and justice. Righteousness, our right relationship with God. Justice, our right relationship with image bearers. So when the Holy Spirit comes, this is what Jesus says. When I send the Holy Spirit to you, he is going to convict the world. He's going to convict people who live in sin. He's going to convict people who are not yet saved by my grace of sin, of unrighteousness and wrong judgments. So in the same way that Jesus prophesied that he would build his church, he also prophesied that when his spirit came, it would convict the world of sin. And we see Peter partnering with Jesus' promise. Okay, Jewish people, all of y'all. See, Peter knows what's happening. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. The promise of the Father, we've received it. And now the helper is moving through this crowd of 3,000 at least and is convicting them of sin. You remember when Jesus said that when the helper came, he was going to convict people of sin? This is what's happening. The people are starting to feel conviction. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. People are feeling convicted. Now they're wanting to respond. How do you respond to the conviction of the helper? Peter says, repent. This is how you respond to conviction. You repent. And this is where the gospel starts. This is where the church started in Acts chapter two. This is where John the Baptist, you guys remember John the Baptist? Jesus' forerunner, his cousin, he started preaching this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's he saying? You better change how you think, man. You're going to miss this thing that's very close to you. The kingdom's closer than you think it is. The Messiah is closer than he thinks he, than you think he is. And then Jesus shows up and then Jesus starts preaching himself and he preaches the same sermon as his cousin. And what does he say? Y'all know, y'all know what it is. I've teed it up. Come on. Yeah. Uh, repent. Right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When the church starts, Peter stands up. He says, all y'all repent. Throughout the entirety of the book of Acts, as Paul goes on his missionary journeys, he never stops preaching the same message. If you want to receive the kingdom, Acts chapter 20, you see, then you see, uh, you see Paul and then you see Peter. Peter's preaching. Peter's preaching to the Jews. The apostle Paul is preaching to the Gentiles. They're preaching the same sermon. Fast forward, Acts 26. And then you've got again. That's it. Repent. This, we see this as the foundation of the ministry of Jesus. We also see this as the foundation of the ministry of his body, the church. So I, would, I think we can all agree at this point, repentance is actually quite important. It's the foundation of what we've been called to do as believers in Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, repent more. <laughs> I, I told you it's going it's to it's be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. I, I should have brought a water. I didn't even bring a water. I'm already sweating. I wore my Lululemons today. 
because I figured I could because it's Father's Day and it's hot. So I, I wore them. I know I'm not supposed to do that, but since it's Dad's Day, I did it. Um, so the Apostle Paul, when he teaches in Hebrews, he actually lays down the foundations of what he calls the doctrine of Christ. Or theologians would call the doctrine of Christ. And when he lays down this foundation, I want you to look at it real quick with me on the screen. Hebrews chapter 6. Um, this is uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul teaching the doctrine of Christ. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. How many of you guys want to be mature? Come on, Christians. Say, with me. How many of you guys want to be mature? I want to be, I want to be mature, right? And how, how often? Sweetheart, thank you so much. What if I just baptize myself? I'm just kidding. The doctrine of Christ, right? And we all want to be mature. How many times you hear from church people, I want, I want some meat, man. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go where I'm getting fed some meat. I want no milk, I want some meat. <laughs> I, I'm, it's a caricature because I'm very confused by these people. Uh, I, want, I want some, uh, Pastor, I want, I want some heavy revy. I want that heavy revy. <laughs> you, you, you want to know what the difference between milk and meat is? The presence of conviction. How much are you willing to repent? Meat is not about making you smarter. It's about transforming you more into the image of the one you've been created after. So when people say, give me that meat, pastor, I say, oh, you want to repent more. All right, I'm going to back off that point. I can see that's not going very well. But people say, oh, I want to be mature. I want to be mature. I want to be righteous. I want to be a saint. I want to be high-level, high man. You know what I'm saying? Right? Because we all want to grow in Christ. Well, it's important that we remember that growth, entry, kingdom, belief is preceded by something that Paul says is repentance. Repentance from what? Dead works, right? And of faith toward God. You see that right there? There's a precedent. Repentance comes before And of instruction about washings. Everybody say baptism. baptism. The laying on of hands. Right? That can be a little confusing. What's going on? People up here praying and fire. Right? You came to a <laughs> Pentecostal church. Um, the resurrection of the dead. Paul, Paul says this is, this, is, this is some basics, man. Basics. Hold on, wait just a second. Man, look at that last one though. Man. Man. Eternal judgment. Paul said, let's include that in the in a 101. This is actually deeper than I thought it would be. My bad. Um, 
That's a lot for a Father's Day message. He said, listen, if you're trying to get that heavy revy, you're trying to get that meat. I don't know why I say it like that, but it's got to be said like, you go trying to get that meat? Feed me. You know, um, you got to start. You got to start with the elementary doctrines of Christ. And the foundation is repentance. That's the foundation. If we're going to live this life the way in which Christ has intended us to as New Testament believers, we've got to begin with repentance. And I want you to know you never outgrow your need to repent. A benchmark of maturity is not you outgrowing your need to repent at all. A benchmark of maturity is you repenting faster. So let me ask you a question. How much time do you allow to go by from conviction to repentance? Because the distance between those two points is called maturity. We have to, <laughs> we have to be quick to repent. Holy Spirit has convicted me. I'm humble and mature enough to say, wow, it was a, that might've been a tough one. I repent. The most confusing situation, I think one of the most difficult situations for a believer to find themselves in is the place of consistent conviction, no repentance ever, but they continue to do all of the religious things that their Christian friends do. And so over time, what happens? The conviction leads to callousness. And all of a sudden, now you're able to do more than you could do at first and not feel the same measure of conviction because you've been so calloused by your disobedience that now you're living like you were before you got saved and came to church. You're just still coming to church. That's a dangerous place to live, church family. Here's how we get back in touch with the one that God has called us to become. Like him, right? Here's how you do it. You ready? Repent. Turn to your neighbor and say, repent. Okay, so let's talk about repentance real quick. What, what in the world is repentance? We, 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 we all, we never outgrow our need to repent. Can I just give you one more benchmark of maturity? Remembering that sin is sin. Did y'all hear that song yesterday from Mav City? Okay, so 
I was the only one that listened to the Juneteenth album. Awesome. Um, the first line, Dante's like, I remember when sin was sin. I was like, oh, he read my notes. I was like, this is going to be a perfect message. See, when we don't see God rightly, we forget that he's holy. And when we forget that God's holy, we forget that sin is poisonous. And when we forget that sin is poisonous, we'll no longer see our need for repentance. Sin is poisonous. You know why? Because sin brings separation. We see that very early on. Genesis through Adam's fall. What's God say? Where are you? That's why we talk about the state prior to being born again as being lost. Sin brings separation. Repentance brings restoration of relationship and proximity to the person of God. I don't know about you, but I want to repent more. You know why? Because I want to be intolerable towards any distance between me and him. I want to be tenacious about the distance between me and him. I want to cut everything out that must be cut out so that I can get closer to him. You know what that's called? That's called repentance. It doesn't matter what gets in the way. If it's in the way of him, it gets cut out. It gets repented of. It gets dealt with. It gets kicked out to the left, to the left. It's got to go. It's got to get repented of because anything that creates distance between you and God must be treated with severity and with urgency and must be attacked prayerfully through the action of repentance. So no, no, I'm not tolerating that. I'm not tolerating any distance. I'm not tolerating any separation. When you're young, the things that are in between you and him are obvious. But the more you grow, it's the little stuff that the spirit convicts you of, and then you make excuses for not repenting, like, Lord, that's not even a sin. Lord, my friends are doing that. Lord, my pastor's doing that. Lord, Lord. Um, my, my parents do that. Lord. My mentor does that. You see what I'm saying? Justifying your distance, right? On the basis of how you see someone else follow him, but you don't know about the conviction that they're feeling. You don't know about the relationship that he has with them. You're not called to examine their distance but to repent of your own and say, listen, I know you can get as, uh, as much of God as you want to. This is for me. Because your anointing is not their anointing. Maybe he's called you to get a little bit closer than you've seen your friends grow close. 
Maybe he's calling you to sacrifice a little bit more than the people that you've grown up going to church with. Maybe he's calling you to dive a little bit deeper because he has a different calling on your life. I, w I don't want to tolerate any distance. I don't want to tolerate any dysfunction. I don't want to tolerate any distraction. I don't want to let anything get between me and him. And anything that creates distance must be repented of. Look at your neighbor and say, repent more. <laughs> I'm inspired to repent more on Father's Day. So, so what, what is repentance? Let's define repentance a little bit. Uh, first thing I want to say is what repentance is not. Repentance is not conviction. It's an important distinction that we need to make. Um, conviction is a feeling. Repentance is a decision. Unfortunately, we have created a... Um, like a hierarchy of how good that sermons are by how much conviction that we feel. Man, Pastor, that's a good word today. You stepped all over my toes. I was so convicted. Great word. That's an awesome word. Man, that's amazing. Get in the car. Man, wasn't that word awesome? Man, I felt so convicted. Who cares? Did you repent? <laughs> Do you see, you see what Peter said? <laughs> All y'all feel convicted. You may go back home. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time in church. You felt convicted. Hallelujah. It's a good word. It's a good word. Nope. No, no, no. See, a good message doesn't stop with conviction. That's not, that's not what God wants to achieve through his seed. He wants you to bear fruit, as John the Baptist said, in keeping with repentance, right? If you go back, read Matthew, early on in Matthew, you see John the Baptist rebuking all of the religious people. He actually refers to them as a brood of vipers, which is an amazing biblical insult. And he says, listen, you're all a bunch of brood of vipers. And what you need to do is you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, Y'all have come out here to watch me baptize people who are humble enough to repent and receive a washing. But you're not willing to get in the water yourself because you're not repentant. And you know how I know you're not repentant? It's because the fruit of your life proves it. So repentance is not conviction. Conviction precedes repentance, but Experiencing the presence of conviction does not mean that you have made the decision to repent. So you can't stop with conviction. You can't stop with conviction. We see that all throughout the Bible. The people in Noah's day were watching him build the ark. At some point, at some point, they got convicted. But you know what they didn't do? They never repented. Moses, he goes preaching to Pharaoh and Pharaoh gets convicted enough to do various things at various times, but you know what he never did? Never repented. You see it in the book of Acts, which we're reading about. Think about Herod hearing Paul preach. He's almost convinced. Remember, he's like, you would convince me to be a Christian in one afternoon. You know what he felt? Conviction. 
You know what he didn't do? Repent. Right? We see him talking to Herod a little bit later. Herod feels conviction. You know why? Because the helper that was with the apostle was convicting the people of sin. They felt the conviction of sin and yet they did not repent. This is the exact symptom of Phariseeism because we see Jesus sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God and the Pharisees are close enough to feel convicted, but not repentant enough to be transformed. And unfortunately, I think that we have a whole lot, I'm not trying to be insulting, but I just think we have a whole lot of modern day Pharisees that are going to church enough to get convicted but are not repentant enough to be transformed. Turn to your neighbor, say, repent more. Say, we, we gotta repent more. We gotta repent more. You know, I, 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 heard, I heard a preacher say one time, he said, you know, uh, we've repented enough to get saved, but not repented enough to see the kingdom. We've reduced the gospel message down to its entry point. Oh, you got them saved? Okay, great. It's all over. It's fine. No, no, there's so much more to this life which requires more and more of ongoing repentance so that we can receive more and more transformation. So here's what repentance is. Number one, repentance is a change of mind. It is the root of repentance. Everybody say the root. Right? We know what Deep down, the seed that has been sown, right? Seed that's been sown. The root of repentance is a changed mind. A changed mind. You know what that tells us? That this is an intellectual exercise that you can execute on the basis of your own strength. Repentance is not a magic Spell. It's not like I repent. I repent is not like abracadabra. Now I'm fine. The supernatural component of our repentance is God's grace and forgiveness. But the root of repentance is you changing your mind. What does it mean to change your mind? It means to change your purpose. It means to change your direction. It means to change your intention. And it means to change your attitude. So we're talking about, oh, I repented and it didn't work. You didn't really repent, bro. Repentance is not a magic spell. You don't just say, well, I repent. And then you go and live the exact same way as previous to saying that you repented. You didn't actually repent biblically. You attempted some type of a spell. <laughs> you, you, you gave yourself a personal affirmation. <laughs> Which the gospel is so much more potent than that. God's grace is so much more powerful than that. Can do what you cannot do in your own strength. But repentance happens right here in the mind. Think about it when Adam sinned for the first time. You guys, you guys about toast? I'm almost done. Think, think, about, think about when Adam sinned for the first time. What is it that Satan did? He appealed to Eve's 
right? Convince, entice, reason. Did God really say, think about it, Eve? Mull it over. Temptation has always been the same since. When we are tempted, you know where we're tempted? Where does Satan make his appeal? God's got a lock on the spirit, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, God's like, I'm, I'm, I've redeemed you. Here's how you want to live. Holy. Because you got the Holy Spirit. But Satan's like, let me get, let me get, let me sow a seed into that mind. Right? So what do we see whenever Satan tempts us? He minimizes sin. So he says, it's really small. It's not a big deal. Just go ahead and do it. It's fine. It's all good. No one will even notice. Your mom's not around to check your browser history anymore. Bro, go ahead. It's all good. Nobody will notice. Download the app. Swipe right. It's fun. Everyone else, it's no big deal, right? So what happens when temptation takes place? Satan minimizes sin until you commit the sin. And then he blows it up. That was a huge deal. I can't believe you did that. You consider yourself to be a Christian. You were praying on the prayer team last week. You call yourself holy. You enrolled in Legacy College. You might as well drop out. You better not show your face at church. You should break up with your Christian community. You should move to another city and try to outrun your reputation because it's obvious nothing's ever going to get better for you. You're terrible. Right? That's exactly what happens. During the temptation phase, he minimizes it until you do it, then he maximizes it and blows it up. And the Holy Spirit is coming through saying, conviction, 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 repent. Conviction is simply an invitation to repent, right? Condemnation is something different, which we know from Romans chapter eight, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet the enemy comes and says, hey, I'm gonna condemn you and convince you that you're way worse than you know yourself to be. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit brings conviction and the Holy Spirit says to you, you're way too awesome to be acting like that. That's the difference. So repentance, first and foremost, is a change of mind. It's not a magic spell. All right, look at 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded thee. Everybody say it with me. Minds of those who don't believe. When we receive the gospel, we surrender to God in our spirits, but we repent from our sin in our minds. And then we choose a new direction, a new intention. We make a decision and we move in that direction. That's what repentance is. If you've been saying to yourself, repentance doesn't work. It's not gonna work unless you do. Forgiveness is God's part. Your part is repentance. Grace is God's part and his grace is sufficient for you. But have you repented? So that's all right. There's grace for that. You'll be calloused. You'll start to tolerate separation. 
It's all good, God. I'm doing all the right stuff. So there's separation. You, you're a part of the church, but I have this against you, Laodicea. That you've lost your first love. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to do, what did the Bible say? The works that you did at first. What did you do to get into the kingdom? Come on, y'all help me. What did you do? You responded according to the conviction of the Holy Spirit as he did his job. And now you're invited to do yours and say, I repent. What is repentance? Uh, point two is a change of living. And this is the fruit of repentance. As we talked about a change in our mind, that, that's the root of repentance. A change in our living is the fruit of repentance, meaning we walk out our repentance. Just like John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What repentance does when we make the choice to turn from our sin and turn toward God is it affects our actions, it affects our attitude, it affects our emotions, it affects our plans, our purposes. One of the easiest ways to define repentance is this. You can write this down if you're taking notes. Being sorry enough to quit. If you want an easy definition of repentance, it is simply this, being sorry enough to quit. Say, I'm done. I'm walking away from it. I'm letting it go. I'm, I'm finished. I'm sorry enough to repent. So this is how repentance works. The Holy Spirit, A, convicts you of sin. You have sorrow in your heart because you feel the presence of conviction. Two, we cry out to God in repentance. We repent. We ask for forgiveness. Three, as we repent, we confess our specific sins. It's so funny. We'll, we'll, we'll sin retail and confess wholesale. You know what I'm saying? It's like we know what we've done. We know the specific sins and then we go to God like he doesn't know and just be like, Lord, you know, forgive me for being a sinner. He wants more intimacy with you than that. He wants to dive deeper with you than that. He wants to identify every single thing that brings separation between you two. And he wants to deal with it and show to you, prove to you that he is way more powerful than that thing that's got in between the two of you. That it's nothing by comparison to his grace. That it's nothing but a counterfeit imitation of whatever pleasure or joy that it's bringing you momentarily to what you can receive through his face, through his beauty, through his presence, through his intimacy, through his grace, through his power. Repentance is not about turning away from stuff. Yeah, you do that, but it's more about turning to someone and understanding that everything you've turned away from is nothing more than a counterfeit. This is nothing more than an imitation of what God has for me. And then we forsake our, then we forsake our sin. We get rid of, we, we forsake it. I'm done with that. I'm done with that. And then we see God is granting re us repentance, cleansing us of our sin. And God wants everybody to repent. All right, this is how we're going to close. I'm just going to, you know, simply invite you guys, us collectively, all together, myself included, to repent. And, you know, if you're thinking today, like, I don't know what I need to repent of. Well, let me give you a few quick things. 
not suggesting that you're doing these things. But here's when you need to repent. Number one, when you violated the law of God. I know some people that will not read the Bible because they do not want to be accountable for what they read. Nope. Mm -mm. I don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. I don't want to know where I am violating God's laws. But when we have violated God's laws knowingly, going against the grain of what God has laid out for us to live out in the scripture, it's time to repent. Secondly, when we violate God's standards of righteousness and justice, all unrighteousness is sin, all injustice is sin, and there is sin not unto death. Where, where have you wronged someone else? Where are you treating other people unfairly and know it? It's time to repent. That's when it's time to repent. Number three, when we know to do good and we don't. That's James 4 and 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, that's called disobedience. Disobedience biblically is in fact sin and requires repentance. You know, often people say to me, um, I, I don't know what to do. I just, I don't know what to do. You know what my response to that is? What's the last thing that God told you to do? Have you done that? Oh, you haven't? So who are you to be disobedient to God's will and then demand him to give you another? Repent and do what God has asked you to do. Okay, last one. When we sit in unbelief, when we simply sit in unbelief, that's Romans 14, 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. When we sit in our unbelief, as the Holy Spirit convicts us of places where he wants to transform our way of thinking about what God is able to do and about who God is. So when we find ourselves in these spaces, church, we must move quickly towards repentance. Quickly. So that's what I want to invite you guys, all of us together collectively as a family, is just to have a moment. Is that cool? How's that for a Father's Day invitation, huh? Could we do some business with the Father real quick? Let's just stand for, I'll let you go here in just a, a minute. I just want to create some opportunity. Could I ask you, would you allow me to ask you? I know, I, I know I've been preaching to you awfully hard, but would you just allow me to ask you kindly in love? Um, where are you in disobedience to God? Is, is there a place where God has been asking you, telling you? to move and you're simply disobeying him? Where have you taken the word of God, taken the scripture and knowingly, willfully violated 
God's law and moved in the opposite direction of his leadership. These are things we must repent for. We must repent for these things. We must be intolerable of distance between us and him. There is no man that puts his hand to the plow and turns around that is fit for the kingdom of heaven. We don't want any turning around in this house. We want to stay walking in the direction that you have called us, Holy Spirit. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, even, even more so than my ability to share, the, share your word, Lord, the Holy Spirit, the helper, is convicting people of sin. That's what you do. So we trust in your authority, Holy Spirit. We trust right now. And, and if, you're, if you're like, man, I don't know what you're talking about, Lyle. Would you just pray a simple prayer with me and just say, Holy Spirit, you know, convict me. Convict me. It's a safe, it's a safe thing to request. Holy Spirit, convict me of sin. Holy Spirit, convict me of any unrighteousness. Holy Spirit, convict me of any injustice. Holy Spirit, convict me of any disobedience. Now, whatever that is, that God might be bringing up, now is, it, now is your opportunity to do your part and let him do his. So you don't have to say anything out loud. I'm not asking you to expose yourself. I just, in your heart, would you repent? Very easily, Lord, I repent. I repent of my sin. The sin of, fill in the blank. I repent of my sin. And I make a decision today. I make a decision today to move with a different intention, to move in a different direction, to move with a different attitude, to move with a different purpose. I make a choice to move in a different direction. And as you make that choice, church, the Holy Spirit is with you, cleansing you, washing you with the blood of the Son, Jesus Christ, purifying you, and gracefully giving you the power to walk in a different direction with Him. So let's just make that choice to walk in that direction. Lord, we, we make that choice right now. We say yes and amen. You know, sometimes there, there are such things as sin cycles in our lives. And as often as we get up, we get knocked back down. You know, Paul talked about that when he said, let us lay aside every single weight and the sin. You notice he didn't say plural sins, but he said the sin that so easily besets us. You know, the devil, he's not a creator. He's an imitator. He can't invent any new sins to bring against you. All he can do is consistently bring up that old sin that he's observed you struggling with in the past. I just declare in Jesus' name that we are breaking out of sin cycles this morning. In Jesus' name, we identify the scheming of the enemy and we say, you're not going to bring up that sin against me. I know about that sin. I'm aware of that sin. And that sin has been dealt with by the blood of Jesus Christ through the authority of the cross. I turn away from sin today, but this message is not about sin. This message is about the son and the power of his forgiveness, the authority of his blood. And so we release the authority of the blood of Jesus throughout this entire sanctuary this morning to cover every single sin where sin does abound. The blood abounds even more. Grace abounds even more. Grace abounds even more, the Bible says. And we don't partner with any condemnation of the enemy right now. Even where the letter kills, the spirit gives life, the Bible says. And so we receive the life-giving voice of the Holy Ghost right now. You're way too awesome to be acting like this. This is not condemnation. You're way too awesome to be behaving like that. This is a new day to make a decision and to move in a different direction.
We say yes and amen. Holy Spirit, come and do your work right now. Empower us. Even when Paul cried out, said, I got this thorn in my flesh. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you're wrestling with church, God says his grace is sufficient for you. If you've been caught in one of those cycles, repent quicker. Don't get down on yourself and let it fester for months. Just repent quicker, dust yourself off, get back up, call a friend, get back to church, get in the prayer room, get in the word, get back into prayer. Dust yourself off, repent quickly. Sign of maturity is not sinning. Sign of maturity is just repenting faster. Not sinning doesn't make you necessarily mature. It's just repenting faster. So Lord, we, we make a choice today. We say, we're gonna repent quicker. This is it's our lifestyle, one of quick repentance, one of quick, diso quick obedience. Thank you, Lord. I don't know about you, but I intend to leave church different on Father's Day. How about you? Washed by the blood. Washed by the blood. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. You know, can I, can I just pray one more thing as we're leaving out today? Uh, this has not a lot to do with the message, but I just want to pray one more thing. Lord, I just... On this Father's Day, as a, as a father in the spirit, on the basis of what you've called Allison and I to do here as pastors of this local church, Lord, on behalf of this family, I come against any and all witchcraft over the people of God. Anybody, anything, praying prayers out of alignment with the will of God for these people, I cancel that assignment right now and I reverse every effect in Jesus name. Every word that is not from God over your life, may it fall to the ground, shrivel up and die now in Jesus name. May you be set free by the blood of the lamb and walk out of this place with your head held high, knowing that the father on father's day speaks affirmation over your life. You are my son, you are my daughter. Nothing shall be impossible with Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he strengthens you today, church. So let's just thank him today and bless him real good in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.